Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you, Jason. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. Morning. It is morning. Are we awake over here? All right. I got my eye on you. So good to have our students with us. Normally, our students head out during this time uh, into the the student center, uh, but they're going to hang out with us today. So super glad to have you guys back and excited to hear more about how God worked uh, through RISE. Uh, We are going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 2, and Luke 2 this morning as Daniel just read. We'll toggle back and forth between the two. Uh, But a couple things before we get there. Um, First of all, I just want to hit the calendar over the next uh, couple weeks. A couple things are going to change. So this coming Sunday, all things normal, 9 30, 11 o'clock service. Um, And then after that will be Christmas Eve. And so Christmas Eve this year is at 4 o'clock. This is the first time in a long time that we've only had one Christmas Eve service because we actually have room to fit everybody in here. And we're really excited about that. Um, you know, we do two services on Sunday, but there's part of that format that, um, that we don't love. And the part that we don't love is that we don't all get to be together every week, uh, depending on which service you come to. And so when we have those opportunities, we like to encourage you to take advantage of it, to come together as the body of Christ together. And so we're gonna do the four o'clock time uh, this year so that you've got time afterwards. Uh, to go spend time with family or do those kinds of things. Um, and the service will last about 45 minutes or so. So you'll be out here by five o'clock. Um, but it's also gonna be a time for, to have the whole family together. So students, kids, uh, parents, grandparents, all generations here together. And, uh, and I like to say this up front, like your kids are fine if they're restless or noisy. And as a matter of fact, like that, I love that because it kind of reminds me of the first Christmas. Like everything going on there um, in Bethlehem as, you know, as all these kind of foreigners were making their journey to be registered and all those sorts of things. I'm sure there was a lot of noise in the background behind the birth of Christ. So if your kiddos are restless or making noise, they're not bothering me. Just, uh, just, just know that up front. Uh, but we want to welcome you to come be a part of that. Um, if you're visiting with us today, especially honored to have you. Uh, really are. Like, we, we don't take that lightly that you would, you would lend us your time. Um, if you're in search of the perfect church, and so, like, this morning you came in with, a, like, a list of, like, boxes to check. Like, somebody greeted me when I walked in. There was coffee. Uh, the bathrooms were well marked. The seats were comfortable. The music was good. I'm just going to go ahead and just, just, let's just go ahead and cut to the chase. We're not going to check all those boxes. This is not a perfect church. Um, this is a place where broken people uh, gather together, and, uh, and just like we just sing about, uh, we're seeking after a holy and perfect God who takes our brokenness aside and makes it beautiful. And so if that's you, I want to welcome you to Solid Rock, but I also want to invite you to throw in with us, to take this journey of redemption with us as we continue to pursue this God who is making us like him day by day, week by week. By week. So as we get started here, um, also, uh, it's not too late to jump in on devotionals. For the Advent season, we have um, the devotions available. Uh, you can get that from the app or grab the booklet in person at the Welcome Center. Um, we're two weeks in. There's two weeks left. There's a weekly devotional that goes along with where we are in the series. So feel free to grab one of those and, and jump in with us on the devotional. All right, so a um, couple things. We are uh, in this series doing something really different. I can't ever remember doing a sermon series like this one. Um, the, the preaching uh, team got together back in the fall and we were talking about Advent and uh, before we really got, had any direction on where we were going to go for this Advent series we started talking about how the holidays inevitably are full of emotion they just bring up emotions for so many people emotions of sadness and loneliness and 
hurt and pain and, and maybe even gladness, but the, the holidays tend to be emotional. And one of the things that we, we notice is that rarely do we stop as we're moving through the stories in the Bible to pay attention to what the, the people are actually going through. And we noticed as we surveyed the nativity how much emotion, like extreme high-level emotion, was involved in the birth of Christ that we normally just pass right over, right, for the storybook version of the birth of Jesus that we, that we, that we get from the, the Christmas carols, if you will, and the Christmas cards. And we skip right over the difficulty and the adversity and the emotions of what's actually taking place. So last week, uh, we looked at the fear of Mary and how, I mean, she's a teenage girl, come on. Like, teenage girl, uh, right? And so she has this angel tell her she's about to give birth to this really special baby. Uh, and upon this baby's shoulders will rest really the, the eternity of the world. And like this, this is a really scary moment for Mary. And we looked at how God met Mary in that fear and turned that fear into gladness. And so this week, uh, we're looking at the loneliness of Christmas, the loneliness of Christmas. And so two things. One, when we talk about the loneliness of anything, really, um, loneliness is almost always closely connected to some other emotion, okay? And so, like, the idea of loneliness is that, that you aren't with me, that nobody's with me. So if I'm sad and nobody's with me, I'm also going to feel lonely. I can be exceedingly joyful and glad and still be lonely if I don't have someone to share that gladness with. And so loneliness is oftentimes connected to the other emotions that we're experiencing. But here's the more important thing. This idea of loneliness is going to hit at the core of what it means to be a human being created in the image of God. And so to get there, we're going to step into the nativity story and look at Mary and Joseph and the loneliness that they experienced. I was just kind of surveying some of the other characters in the Bible this week who experienced extreme loneliness that we don't often think about. Like, for example, John, who wrote the Gospel of John. Well, when he writes Revelation, he's exiled on an island. And so when we think about John there on the island, like we're thinking about John's there on this retreat, cabin in the woods, he's all inspired writing Revelation, right? And we forget that, no, he's exiled. He's an outcast. He's, he's in loneliness, as God meets him to give him this revelation that he writes down for us. It's thinking about like even the Old Testament, like Abraham. Abraham and Isaac, when they go up on the mountain to, where Abraham takes Isaac up to sacrifice, like you know Abraham didn't run into any other dads who were also going up on the mountain to sacrifice their son. It was an incredible lonely journey. And then the idea that I may have to go back home by myself. Think about the Apostle Paul who writes these letters oftentimes from prison and like we, we imagine Paul there in prison inspired with a, with a little oil lamp and he's got his parchment and his, his, his quilled pen and he's just writing all these inspired letters that become scripture. We don't really recognize that, no, Paul was in chains in a cold, dark, dingy, virus and bacteria infested prison as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these letters that become parts of our Bible. What a lonely place he must have been. I actually pulled a couple of verses here from Romans 111 where Paul's writing to the Romans and he says, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. He's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He says this, as I remember your tears, 
I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. One of the things that we're gonna learn together today is how loneliness is really not what's wrong with us, it's what's right with us. And that sounds like a paradox. Loneliness isn't what's wrong with us, it's actually an indication of what is right with us. So let's look at Matthew chapter one. This is the pregnancy of Mary. We're just gonna look at verses 18 and 19 together. Verse 18 says, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Sometimes we just skip right over that part. The idea that if Mary's situation would have been made public, not only shame, but the idea that they could have actually stoned her. If Joseph would have turned her in, she could have been stoned to death. I mean, think about how lonely it must have been to be carrying that weight of the the potential shame if anybody finds out what's going here. And we don't know a lot about what kind of support they had. We don't find a lot of support in the scriptures for Mary and Joseph, but it seems like Joseph's kind of carrying this burden on on his own here when being a just man, he was trying to figure out, how can I divorce her quietly? just trying to figure this out on on his own. Think about the idea of of a young couple here supposed to be in this exciting adventure together, right? And we don't find anybody whispering in in Joseph's ear, hey, you're gonna be a great dad, you've got this. You know, we don't find his dad really anywhere. He may have been there, he may not have been. We're not even sure who his dad was. When we look at the lineage of Christ and we look at Joseph, we notice that they're different. There's a couple of really good explanations for why that's the case. Uh, More than likely, Luke's gospel is is tracing Mary's lineage. And so when it mentions Joseph's dad in Luke, it's actually his dad-in-law, his father-in-law, because there wasn't a Greek word for that. Another option is that um, Joseph's mom's first husband was in the lineage of David, but he passed away. And so a kinsman redeemer, another relative, stepped in and uh, and married her and took her. That happened quite frequently in this time. And so then Luke records the surrogate dad's lineage in the lineage of David and then Matthew's. But either way, like we don't find a dad present here saying to Joseph, I'm proud of you, son. You're gonna be a great dad. And so we see in just these few little words, it seems like Joseph's kind of carrying the weight of this on his own. He's trying to figure out how to navigate in a way where he doesn't shame his wife. How can he divorce her quietly? We get to the birth. Luke chapter two, Daniel was just reading this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus to all the, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered to Mary, Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, came time for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. So, not quite the storybook version of how we normally imagine this taking place. 
You know, we see Mary on a donkey and Joseph out front leading her and they're just on this happy adventure together. Where are we going? We're going to Bethlehem to be registered and it's gonna be a starry night and you can see angels glowing off in the distance and like, I don't know if you've ever traveled with a woman who's nine months pregnant. By foot or donkey, either way, right? It's gonna be a rough experience. Like, I'm sure there was conversations between Mary, do I have to go? Right, and Joseph's like, well, let me see. Maybe I could leave you here and I could go register on our behalf. And Mary's like, well, wait, wait. no, because I'm like nine months pregnant. You're not, I'm going with you. And like, how are we gonna do this? What happened? I don't know. And here they go on this journey to Bethlehem together. And so they're out of town whenever she gives birth. She's not in her town. She's not in her home. She's not in her bed. Like, think about that. What a lonely place to give birth fears, questions. How do I do this? She's got no female support there. Like, here's how, you've got this, Mary. Here's what to expect. Here's what we're gonna do if this happens. Here's what we're gonna do if this happens. All she has is a rookie dad. Moms, right? I mean, what a lonely place for Mary to be. And here Joseph is doing the best he can. I've thought this for a long time. The song Silent Night, Holy Night, maybe it would have been better titled Silent Night, Lonely Night, right? Because this is not just your, your storybook way that you want your first, first birth to go, is it, moms? There's a uh, couple things that come to mind as I'm thinking about this today and, and remembering the account of the, the birth of my first child. Um, he will go unnamed, but he's over here in, in the blue shirt. His name's Hudson. And um, like, so whenever um, everything was rocking along fairly well in my wife's first pregnancy. No indication that there were gonna be any emergencies or any deviations. Like we were uh, expecting what you would expect when you read what to expect when you're expecting, right? Like everything's just gonna happen the way it should happen. Uh, she, goes into, she goes into labor and I'm actually dove hunting uh, with some buddies and I don't have a cell phone. Uh, but fortunately, one of the guys with me, a good friend of mine has a cell phone and uh, he walks up to me uh, and he goes, hey, Jason, it's for you. He throws me the phone and he just turns and walks off. Doesn't, he knows what's going on, but he doesn't tell me. And so I'm like, what is this? I'm like, hello. And it's my wife and it's her voice and something's not okay. What's, what's going on? She's like, I'm in labor. I'm like, are you kidding me? Could have given me a, yes, okay, I'll be there. Just a minute. So hang up the phone. I get in the truck. I go pick up my wife and we make our way to the hospital, you know, driving way too fast because you think you got to get there right now, but you actually got like hours nobody would get out of the way and so we make it to the hospital we get checked in we get into the room my wife's on the bed hooked up to the monitors everything seems to be unfolding the way you would kind of imagine it would unfold um the nurse who was with us excellent nurse but um didn't speak a lot of english so she was having a hard time communicating to us but we could read her face and so we're watching contractions we're timing it all that sort of stuff and i started noticing that when a contraction would happen you'd see it and the look on her face was she was getting nervous like getting uneasy and she would like check and she'd be like watching and checking we're like, I'm like what what's going on is this what to expect when you expect I don't know and sure enough after a few times of that she leaves the room she brings a doctor in doctor comes in listening to my wife's heartbeat listen to the to my to the baby's heartbeat he's watching the monitor and within just within a minute he's like all right here we go here's what we're doing go ahead and get her unplugged uh, get dad some scrubs we're taking the baby right now I'm like whoa this is not what I expected and within like within 60 seconds, Hallie's unhooked, she's out of the room, nurse hands me scrubs, and they're out. 
I've often described um, the birth of our first child personally. Um, it's like somebody ran down the hallway of my emotions and kicked every door open. Like I was angry, I was sad, I was hurt, I was all these things, I was scared to death. But in the moments after Hallie and the, the medical team leaves the room and they shut the door, it's dark in there. I've got my scrubs on in like 12 seconds. I got the booties on, I'm ready to go, right? Tag me in doc, let's do this. I still don't know what's happening and I'm just waiting, waiting. And guess what starts to well up? I got lonely. So I go searching for my, my wife's cell phone. I find the cell phone and I call one of my friends. What's happening? I mean, this is surreal. I don't know what's happening, but I'm all alone. I just need to talk to somebody. I'll never forget that conversation. He didn't tell me anything that made the situation better, but all of a sudden, I wasn't alone anymore. And think about the birth of Jesus and all that Mary was going through here. There's a song um, that uh, one of my favorite songwriters, Andrew Peterson, wrote about this night and this birth. And I really love the way he describes it in a more realistic way than oftentimes we sing about at Christmas time. And he wrote a song called The Labor of Love, trying to capture all that Mary and Joseph are going through, like all that was difficult about this exciting moment. And here, here are the lyrics to the song. He says this, It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of Davidstown. And the stable was not clean and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above, but for the girl on the ground in the dark with every beat of her beautiful heart was a labor of love. Noble Joseph by her side, calloused hands and weary eyes. There were no midwives to be found on the streets of David's town in the middle of the night. So he held her and he prayed shafts of moonlight on his face but the baby in her womb was the maker of the moon he was the author of the faith that can make the mountains move it was a labor of pain it was a cold sky above but for the girl on the ground in the dark with every beat of her beautiful heart it was a labor of love We try to imagine just how lonely that was. On one hand, right, everything in the world to be excited about, even not knowing that she was giving birth to the Messiah, just giving birth, the excitement that should have been, right, part of that scene, and yet, a lot of loneliness. And you know, loneliness doesn't end there. You keep reading the nativity story. We get to the place where the wise men come in. So at least the shepherds come during the first week. You know, they're strangers, kind of smelly, but somebody's at least coming to visit. And then you get the visit of the wise men, and the wise men are coming based on this, this prophecy that the Messiah has been born, the king of Israel, and Herod catches wind um, that that's the case, and so he calls the wise men to himself and says, hey, like, when you find this baby, will you come back and tell me so I can go worship this baby too? And essentially it's a trap. He wants to put Jesus to death. 
And so if you look in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22, when the time came uh, for, uh, we'll actually start with the Simeon and then we'll move to the wise men. So at the time, when the time came for the purification, according to law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so what happens, they bring him to the temple and Simeon's there and gives a prophecy over the baby, but also a prophecy over Mary. And so after hearing the prophecy of Je- about Jesus, they're excited. Really, this is, our baby's gonna do this stuff? And verse 33 says, and his father and his mother, that's Joseph and Mary, marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And oh yeah, let me tell you about you, Mary. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. On one hand, the prophecy about Jesus was exciting, but Mary, the prophecy for you is gonna be really hard. There's gonna be a lot of pain associated with being the mother of this baby. There's gonna be a lot of sadness, a lot of loneliness that's gonna accompany being this baby's mom. And that prophecy followed Mary all the way to the end, didn't it? We see in the Gospel of John, there's Mary. Jesus, our son, is on the cross. Her soul is being pierced like a sword, a dagger going through her heart. She's watching her son, the son that she gave birth to in this cold, lonely night, being crucified for the sins of the world. And Jesus says what? Woman, behold your son. Son, speaking to John, behold your mother. You guys are gonna need each other. You're gonna need each other. And so then the wise men come, they visit Jesus, but instead of going back to Herod and selling out, where the baby is, look at Matthew chapter two, this is verse 13. Now when they, the wise men, had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Wow, more loneliness. Now we're gonna, hey, I know we're just getting over giving birth, Mary, but an angel spoke to me in a dream. Hey, we gotta leave. We're going to Egypt. Giving birth in a foreign town. Now we're gonna go to another foreign town, right? There's no meal train. There's no Target gift cards to go get diapers and formula with. We're going to a foreign place where Joseph doesn't have a job and like, where are we gonna live? I don't know. We just gotta get out of town because if we don't get out of town, Herod's gonna kill this little baby. I guarantee you, nobody else was in that position. What a lonely, lonely place to be, to know that you have the very child that Herod wants dead. And so they flee to Egypt. I said earlier, when we start talking about loneliness, we're getting really close to what it actually means to be a human being, created in the image of God. When you look at how God explains creating us in Genesis chapter one. There's some really interesting words that he says. In verse 26 of Genesis one, God says this, let us, singular or plural, plural, make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So the idea, the essence of what it means to be a human being is that we're created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And something about being created in his image sets us apart from the rest of creation. Do you see that? There's kind of a hierarchy here in creation. These beings are gonna have dominion over all the rest of, the, of, the, of creation. And something about what it means to be human is closely connected to what it means to be a God, a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Let us make him, them, in our image. We go to the very next chapter. Remember what God says at the end of each day of creation? It is good. One time he says very good, right? But when we get to Genesis chapter two, so if you don't understand how this works, Genesis one is the overview. Genesis two is day six slowed down. Okay, that's what it is. So when you get to the next chapter and we look a little bit closer to the details of day six, the creation of man, we read this in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Whoa, 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 that's the first time we've read something wasn't good. Everything's been good up to this point. It is not good, what? That man should be alone. I'm not done creating this one yet. I will make a helper fit for him. So what's interesting is verse 20. Any dog lovers in the room, animal lovers? You're good, okay, it's fine to love animals. It's okay, they're cute and cuddly when they're little. Um, but look at what happens with Adam. So right, he's, he's lonely, he's alone. So God brings what? All of creation before Adam. Verse 20 says what? The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. He's doing what he was created to do in Genesis 1, to have dominion over. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. That idea of helper is a compliment fit. Nothing fit. Even with all of creation at his fingertips, even having dominion over all of creation, it's still not what? Good. Why? Because he is alone. And so this is where God creates the counterpart, the complementary fitting helper in verse 21. The Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up, closed its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I know in humor, we like to make a big joke here about how pretty she was and that's what he was overwhelmed by. It's like, whoa, that one's hot. She's pretty. But you gotta keep in mind, what was he looking for? He was just looking for another human being. He was looking for something among creation that was like him. And the dogs wouldn't do, the horses wouldn't do. Like it wasn't enough for Adam to be in relationship with a dog and with his horse, right? That didn't reflect the image of a God, Father, Son, and Spirit, right? It left a void there. But look at what he says, like, finally, that's one like me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She's like me. I can have relationship with her. I can have community with her. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and felt and were not ashamed. Here's what I want you to understand about loneliness. Loneliness is a gift from God. Loneliness lets you know 
when you don't have intimacy. So what is intimacy? Intimacy is really two things, super simple. Being known and being accepted. That's what it means, right? To be known and to be accepted. To be known and to not be rejected. To be known and to not be abandoned. To be an intimate relationship with another being means they know you and they accept you. Okay, I want you to think of it like that. Loneliness is like the the dashboard light that lets you know something is missing. It's, It's a warning sign to let you know, hey, you're drifting from what? From intimacy. Intimacy with who? Intimacy with God or intimacy with fellow man or both? See, that's what loneliness, it's a gift to keep you on the right path, to keep you pressing in to intimate relationships for which you were created. This is the essence of your creation. You were not primarily created to be an engineer or a teacher or whatever, fill in the blank. You were created primarily, according to God, to do what? To reflect the image of Father, Son, and Spirit. To exist in relationship with him and with your fellow man. In, listen, true intimacy. Let's talk for a minute. You can feel alone and be in a room with a thousand people. It's not enough to just be in the same space as a bunch of other people. That's not the same as being known and being accepted, is it? That's why some of us have a phobia about walking into rooms where we don't know people. One of my biggest phobias is, is, the, is the elementary school cafeteria. The, 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 just the anxiety of where am I gonna sit? And not where do I wanna sit, but where can I sit where people will accept me? So you can be, you can be in a room full of people and still be alone. But here's another part of that too. This is really important. You can be accepted and still be alone when you're putting on a persona, when you're putting on the mask, when you're projecting an image that you think other people will like. Like you can be in a crowd or with a group of people who accept you, but what they're accepting is the false version of yourself. You're not actually letting them see you And so they think they're walking in intimacy with you, but you know you're not. And on the inside, you're gonna be lonely. Because listen, to be in intimacy means that you are known, like really known, that you show up. This is who I am. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. This is me. And then the person you reveal yourself to doesn't turn around and walk off. (laughs) Like it's so simple, but isn't that powerful? I see you and I'm not gonna abandon you. And so loneliness is this gift from God to let you know that you're starting to drift from that or you don't have that. It's a gift from God to remind you of that for which you were created. We think about Mary and Joseph's loneliness, what was driving it, there are a lot of things, right? Shame, fear, sadness, hurt, Adversity, difficulties, physical pain, physical discomfort, lack of support from friends and family, facing enemies, facing opposition. But you can also see traces of God's goodness. 
the way God provided for Mary and Joseph. Think about Mary in the first three months of pregnancy, how, how God gave her that intimate moment with her cousin Elizabeth. I know I said sister last week, it's Elizabeth's her cousin, but just the first three months, that first trimester, she at least got to go be with somebody who was also experiencing something like that. But then the next six months, it's just her and Joseph, it seems like. God provided Elizabeth, God provided the shepherds, Simeon, the wise men, the angels, each other. But through all of these medians, God himself was showing up. God himself was showing up to step into their loneliness, to remind Mary and Joseph, I have not left you, I have not forsaken you, I have not forgotten you, and I can still see you. As exciting as it was to have these shepherds or these wise men visit to go, okay, we're on the right track. As they departed, Mary and Joseph were able to look at each other and go, okay, God hasn't forgotten us. Another reminder that we are not rejected or abandoned by God. I want to read this next part um, just because I want to get the words as precise as I can. And this is where this is where our story comes in. This is where we start talking about our loneliness. The unfolding of God's will for your life will include situations where you will feel lonely. It will. The first time I wrote that sentence, I put it may. I took that out. It will. When you feel loneliness, it's not an indication of what's wrong with you. It's an indication of something that's right, something working within you to say, hey, you need to to press in. And it's going to happen. It's supposed to happen. God put it inside of you so you'll know when you're drifting from your God-given, God-created purpose. God gave us this feeling of loneliness to remind us that it's not good to be alone. We were created to be deeply connected to God and to others. So loneliness allows us to know when that connection is missing and it drives us back towards real intimacy. Listen to this. This is where the gospel comes in. Jesus died on the cross to provide true intimacy for you. That's the gospel. You know that's the outcome of the gospel, right? That's the invitation to believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus, forgiveness of sins, eternal life. You know what all that's aimed at? A reconciled relationship with God. If you don't have that, you have not yet responded to the gospel. But that's the point of the gospel. You know what the second part of it is? Go read uh, Ephesians chapter two. Reconciled relationship with your fellow man. The hostility that used to divide us has now been killed and crushed and crucified where? On the cross. The outcome of the gospel is a reconciled relationship with God and a reconciled relationship with one another. Without the gospel, listen to this, we would be shackled perpetually to loneliness. But it's the gospel that unlocks those shackles. When that dashboard light goes off, I'm feeling disconnected. I'm feeling alone. Without the gospel, you can't do anything with that. Try to go have friendships without the gospel and you're gonna, you're gonna wreck shop. If they're real relationships, as soon as they get to know the real you, it's gonna freak them out and they're gonna run. As soon as you get to know the real them, without grace, mercy, and forgiveness and kindness, you're gonna bail. You're gonna keep looking for that perfect friendship that does not exist. 
Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself and to one another by faith, allowing loneliness to be the warning light on the dashboard that reminds us of our need to live in community. Listen to this, to walk in intimacy with God and others, you have to show up. You have to show up, not the image that you wanna portray, you have to show up. Wounds exposed, telling the truth about yourself and learning, excuse me, and leaning into the presence of God and into the presence of others. You've gotta lean into that. Without the gospel, we're shackled by loneliness. Listen to this. Through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God has reconciled us to himself by faith and through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has reconciled us to one another. You missing on one of those today or both? Regardless of which one you're missing on, it has to start with Jesus. It has to. I wanna ask some questions here for you just to think about. How long has it been since you have shown up and truly been present with God? I'm not talking about the rituals or those great habits you have of reading your Bible on a daily basis, praying, going through your prayer requests, maybe even journaling, but I mean like really showing up. Like God, here's where I'm at today. I'm, I'm whatever, fill in the blank. I'm lonely, I'm scared. I'm really, really angry. I'm really, really glad. I just don't wanna be lonely in my gladness. Like when was the last time you were truly present with God? And then here comes the real question. Do you believe that God desires to meet you in your loneliness or are you worried that he's gonna reject you like the kids in junior high did? It's it's risky, isn't it? What if I show up and he doesn't like me? What if I show up and, and I'm not good enough? What if God promised to accept me and I show up and he's like, oh, but I didn't think about that now. Do you believe that if you show up with God, that he will truly accept you and not reject you or abandon you maybe the way that one of your parents did or both? What do you believe about God? Maybe what's keeping you from showing up with God is that you actually don't believe he's gonna accept you. Like you're nervous that he's gonna change his mind when he actually gets to know the real you He already knows this, right? Adam and Eve, why were you hiding? He knew why they were hiding, right? He he sees you. How long has it been since you've truly been present with another person? Like truly shown up. They asked you how you were doing and you said, do you want to know the real answer to that question? And they said yes and then you gave it to them. Like really shown up. And hey, by the way, this, this is not enough. It's not. It's a great way to disseminate information. It's a great way to say, thinking about you. It's a great way to say, hey, do you have time for lunch next week? It's a great way to say, yeah, let's meet at such and such at such and such time and day. But intimacy cannot happen through this device. And I just want to challenge you all on something, okay? Just want to challenge you. In our culture today, this becomes default for so many things. As soon as we get uncomfortable, we do this, right? As soon as we get bored, we do this. 
Like the next time you just grab this thing without actually knowing why you grabbed it, I want you to stop just before you even like turn it on. Like, am I lonely right now? Because the answer is yes. Then use this thing to set up a space and a time where you can show up. But listen, this, this is not intimacy. Okay, it's not. It's a poor substitute. When was the last time you truly showed up and were present with another person? You, there's a chance, there's a really good chance you don't even know how to do that. And like, it's okay. That's why we're here. That's why we're having this conversation. You may not even know who to start with. You may feel like you're in a room full of strangers. I just wanna invite you today, if you be willing to take that step, we're gonna have prayer partners down here. These are people who came today prepared to show up. Like they're ready for you. They're waiting on you. Just come show up. Here's what's going on. Can I just share with you what I'm struggling with? Can I, can I share with you what I'm thinking? Can I sh- can, will you just pray for me? Like, start there. Let our prayer partners talk with you and, and pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know that I've ever shown up with God. That kind of freaks me out. I don't really know about all that mess because to me, God is like this, this, this mean masculine figure from my past or he's like the cosmic Santa Claus and I'm just so afraid that I'm gonna be too naughty for him. Take that first step. Come, come grab one of our prayer partners. Say, listen, what does it mean to like, to show, what does it mean to show up with God? What does it mean to become a Christian? And let us walk with you, be present with you as you make that, that eternal decision to become a Christ follower, to be adopted into his kingdom permanently, accepted, no abandonment. Let us walk with you in that. Maybe you're here today and you're, you are a Christian and as I was talking about like John or Paul being lonely, you're like, yeah, that's kind of where I am. I got tons of people around me. I got tons of things going on, but I just feel really lonely for some reason. That's where you are. Let's, let's pray together in just a minute, can we? Like ask God to meet you right now today, like in your loneliness, like before you leave here. Just show me why the dashboard light's going off. Where, where am I missing intimacy? And let God meet you in that loneliness and reveal himself to you, okay? Let's pray together. Um, Father, we thank you for, God, I thank you for the, just the honesty of the Bible. And God, I know that we try to sugarcoat it and, and, and turn it into just fairy tale fiction so many times. And, and God, in that, we oftentimes miss just the realness of it. Even the pain and the difficulty and the, and the, the fear and the loneliness of it. God, thank you for just drawing the curtain back on the nativity in such a way that as we, as we look at Mary and Joseph, like the first among your creation to welcome you into the world, we see them struggling with things like shame and fear and, and loneliness, God. Um, but we also see your goodness. You show up with them. Part of your provision for our lives is this thing we call church. That as we show up with one another, as we meet with one another, as we expose ourselves to one another, Father, it reminds us of your nearness. Just praying, God, for anybody here today whose dashboard light is is maybe blinking. First and foremost, God, you would meet that person where they are. Draw them to yourself and then draw them into this thing we call the church, into community, intimate relationship with one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.